Around the Payload is a High Noon production. Check out all the High Noon productions at highnoonpodcast.com. And welcome to another episode of Around the Payload. I am your host, the Blevins, and we have a ragtag group of guests today. Some returning members, a couple of new ones, but let's jump right into that. Uh, before I get to introducing the guests, I just want to let all of the new folks here kind of know what this show is about and what we're doing here. Um, it's basically, uh, if, if you're familiar with Around the Horn from ESPN, it's a lot like that. It's it's a lot like that, um, but definitely legally different. So please don't sue us, ESPN. Um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doling out points for things that I agree with, things that I think are cool, and taking away points for things that make me angry. Um, I am the sheriff in town, and there's nothing you can do to stop that because I. I've got the point scoring board machine over here. Um, just so you guys know, and the audio listeners know, you're going to hear sounds that sound like this every once in a while. Uh, that is me giving out points. It is not you accidentally queuing up for a quick play match that you forgot to play. But without further ado, let's get to announcing these guests. We have returning multi-time returner Gil Frost, the C- CPO, I think is I think that, that you probably made that yeah. up, right? Of Carbon Entertainment and everyone's favorite left guy. What's up, Gil? Thanks for being back. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. And you know what? I got I got to start it off, Gil. You're you're getting a point for that tie. I mean, it's just it's just too good. You it, you're you're really showing everyone up here uh, for no other reason than to have everyone get back on the train. But we also have everyone knows co-host of High Noon Podcast, the host of Foul Play, as well as many, many other things in the High Noon Productions. Mr. Deathblow, what's up, buddy? Not too much. Just mad that my outlaw hat doesn't fit. <laughs> Why don't you uh, order a smaller head next time? Uh, I will think about that. <laughs> we've got a couple of newbies in here. First, we've got Kyle Wynn, a member of the HNP staff and co-host of the Blackwatch Report. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here for my my first show after like three weeks of trying to figure out when it was and make the time. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to pretend like most of it's not my fault, but it it definitely is. It almost always is. Uh, and last but certainly not least, we have the great Root Beer, who is the founder of the Five Deadly Venoms Booster Club for NYXL. All those awesome NYXL viewing parties that you're seeing. So, yeah, that that's him. He's the guy. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, Let's jump right into this. We've got a we had a, a week off of playing, but that did not mean a week off of content and topics. So let's begin. Round one. Capture the objective. So hot off the presses, though it was speculated before, we have the Fissure tr- uh, trade or release or whatever you want to call it approved. So Fissure, formerly on the London Spitfire, now going to the Los Angeles Gladiators. Uh, Gil, I want to start with you. Does this uh, drastically improve the LA Gladiators? Drastically. It's kind of hard because they've been a little all over the place. But I think that having multiple tanks in your lineup is always going to be important. And so I don't know exactly how they're going to fit him in. I do think that, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, uh, it it seems like 
I, I mean, I remix is not in the in the top echelon, like maybe the top four to, to six tanks, mm-hmm. I would say. And so having another one on board allows you to um, utilize them both maybe in unique ways and, and get a lot more out of your front line. And so I'm really I'm really hoping that uh, it does. But I'm suspending my expectations for now. I think they need to make more changes before they're able to really ramp up into something t- really meaningful mm-hmm. um, as far as growth. Makes sense. Death, what are your thoughts here on Fissure going to the Gladiators? Sure, I think it's definitely going to drastically improve this team and their compete level. Maybe not necessarily their win total at the end of the stage. It might not make a huge difference there. But as far as compete level goes, this is going to make a big difference. iRemix hasn't been a problem for the LA Gladiators through the first stage, but he hasn't been a playmaker either. And that's mm. something that I think Fissure can absolutely do for this team. There was a time when we talked about this guy as the number one tank in Overwatch. Not in Apex, not, in, you know, he was the number one tank across the board when he was with Kongdu Panthera in a lot of people's eyes, uh, myself included. You know, obviously he's, there's been, you know, better Winstons at a time, looking at Miro, things like that. But this guy has been an all around top performer. And I think he's going to open up and make more plays for this team than iRemix was able to do. And when you look at, you know, the their backline too, like just if you can protect that backline a little bit more with Big Goose going to Lucio, Shaz being a big playmaker like he is, an underrated playmaker like he is, I think this could have a, a big impact here and, and really help keep the Gladiators as a team that has a, a shot at the playoffs, mm-hmm. which I don't think they did without this trade. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a, a big shakeup there. But uh, Rupert, I want to get your thoughts here uh, on Fissure going to the Gladiators. What does this do for them? Oh, I'm you... not sure. Oh, there we go. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm really not sure. Uh, and the reason I say that is the team has been very inconsistent. And mm-hmm. inconsistency can have a lot of... There's a lot of causes for inconsistency in any, in, in any squad. Hell, we go through this all the time, right, when we play ourselves. Adding individual um, players, especially like in a tank position, can be something awesome, but it's going to come down to how the how the asset is utilized. And mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see how that handles um, within the Gladiators framework. Um, you know, one of the funny questions people always have is, how will communication handle? And I'm sure you've seen this, right? Um, Dallas is a great example of a squad where I, I've got hunches I can't prove anything, but I've always got hunches that maybe comms have been challenges, maybe. Mm-hmm. Composition has been an issue. So um, I have high hopes. I like the way the Gladiators play. Uh, but I think we have to see. I think we'll just have to wait and see, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for sure. And Kyle, last thoughts here uh, on Fissure going to the Gladiators. I think if nothing else, it would at least free up Bishu, who I think has been like really struggling to to kind of balance protecting Remix and protecting uh, the backline, mm-hmm. because Remix would often dive in, and it didn't look like he was playing it as safe. So a lot of the, the best tanks like Gamesu and Muma know when to get out, and they, they don't require that many resources around them. Mm-hmm. I think Fisher is of that same brand, in that like he can be self-sufficient and not require a D.Va pocketing him at all chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, at all times so he doesn't periodically die and so what i think this does it definitely at least if nothing else if the communication is not as good if the the team does nothing you know super duper new at least they have a tank who's not going to suck away their resources and allow their backline to get a little bit more help so i think that like it it will definitely be a improvement how much i think we have yet to see yeah, I mean, I think if nothing else, it's like I feel like over the past few weeks, the Gladiators have just been like a snooze fest. Just like they're pretty, they're inconsistent, or they're consistently like mediocre. So I think this is at least going to shake things up, hopefully, uh, in their case, for the better. But let's move on. 
We've talked a little bit over the few weeks, uh, last few weeks, about having 12 players on the roster. Obviously, London was the only team to field 12 players. They were able to do internal scrims for a little bit, but now we've actually seen them release players or trade, whatever you want to call it, from their roster to, to free up space. So, Death, should Overwatch League teams have 12 players on their squad? Boy, I've been saying this since before the matches started playing, since the moment they basically told us you were going to be able to carry 12 players. You have to have 12 players on your team. It's not really an option in my mind. Uh, you're just hurting yourself by not – you're taking away options. You're taking away uh, practice time, the ability to scrim. I think even 11 is a pretty decent-sized mistake. If for no other reason, then you can't have your 7-12 to 12 team scrim against somebody else's 7-12 to 12 mm. team. Right now, a lot of these bench players are sitting stagnant, doing nothing but playing comp. That's not good for their development as players. They're not doing the team any good. Uh, they're just sitting there and, and kind of their skill is decaying. Like not their SR, but their physical mm -hmm. skill is decaying because they're not as involved as they've been in the past and, and as, as involved as they need to be. Uh, so yes, you have to get up to 12 players. You have to be able to let those guys scrim you know, against other B teams, whether it's tier two, whether it's other Overwatch League B teams. Uh, and you have to have them playing at their best because when you need them, you want them to be playing at their absolute mm -hmm. best. And if you look at guys like Numlocked, who's been on the bench and complaining about playtime and how he gets this salary to basically play competitive mode, that that to me, you know, it, I mean, he kind of knew what he was getting into, right? I don't think any of us expected him to start. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the team isn't doing right by him by not mm -hmm. giving him everything he needs to get better as a player. Uh, and I think they should continue to add every team should continue to add until they get to 12. Uh, and I don't think there's any exceptions there. Hmm. A lot of good points there. Uh, Rupert, I want to get your thoughts here. Well, what do you think about teams carrying 12? Uh, I think it's, I think it's pretty much a requirement. Um, I think the people need to, you know, Florida was a great experiment in starting off with six, which I think is <laughs> nuts. Um, yeah. Oops. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, in any sport, you've got to have lines. You need to have, you need to have a bench. Uh, it helps with, one, just security around structure of a team. People get sick, as you saw from the flu bug tearing through the entire league <laughs> over the last month. Um, but more importantly, it's that it allows and it offers a team the ability to handle more, like, internal and specialized practices. Mm -hmm. To me, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's like there's a reason why you want four centers, right? So I'm using a hockey reference here. Mm -hmm. I'm Canadian, and that's what we do. We always say hockey. It's real hot here, eh? It's, uh, I can't handle this temperature here, eh? Um, no, but um, there's a reason you have that. And, and some people are used as utilities. Right now, mm -hmm. part of this, it, it's, it's problematic, and the reason I think we, there's some resistance to it is the way substitutions are made mm -hmm. right now in the league. I still think it's weird that you have to preset them, but anyway, I digress. Uh, more importantly, though, I think it is absolutely critical because you have an A and a B squad, Right, you, and then so that at least you've got full squads potentially set up, assuming you have even mm -hmm. distributions. But more importantly, it allows you to actually experiment with combinations. And everything's about learning systems. And the longer any team goes in any sport using one system, uh, it's a it's creating an opportunity for other people to figure you out. Yep. So I always talk about the Detroit, the Isaiah Thomas on the old school Detroit Pistons mm -hmm. coming up with the Jordan rules. They shut down a very high-flying, very young Michael Jordan, like, they shut him down, mm -hmm. right? Because Isaiah Thomas, in the middle of the night, invented the Jordan rules, <laughs> and which is crazy, right? Um, and but, that, but you see that happen, and it's a great way to shut down high-talented teams. The Islanders shut down the Oilers when they were a high-flying young team because they figured out their system. Um, so 12, I think, is a great way to avoid that, and also it encourages experimentation, which I think 
we're starting to see some systems get poked at. Seoul, we saw what happens mm-hmm. because they've got a, they have a huge warp problem around Jaehong, and what happens when they take out Jaehong and they turn and they try a slightly different you know meta and they get spanked, right? Mm-hmm. This and I think that twelve will help really prevent this, assuming teams have the management capability to handle twelve. Right. I mean, we definitely have seen. I mean, London Spitfire has really. I mean, even when they were, <clears throat> when part of them was GC Busan, we saw them really mm. poke holes in, in Lunatic High at the time and other teams where on paper maybe they weren't the uh, as talented uh, when you line them up. But Kyle, I want to get your thoughts here. Any any opposing thoughts on, on having 12? A little bit. So I, I definitely do agree that there's certain teams that absolutely should. Any team that is at 11 should pick up the 12 just to have in-house. But I think that there's other teams that could benefit from not needing to do that because of the academy teams. Mm. So we saw that New York just got, I think it's not announced yet, but it was leaked. So we know that like, at least if nothing else, there is for sure flower on New York academy team and Mm. a group of five or six other players that could play around him and be a really, 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 really strong team that could play against the main Overwatch League Mm. uh, XL team and act essentially as that sort of sister team that the Korean teams had or just like the other six on a 12-man roster. Whereas you get a team like the Valiant, definitely, 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 they don't have an academy team. They don't have an, another team to practice off of that much. They definitely should pick up, uh, I think it's one or two extra players mm-hmm. to get that 12 so Numlock stops, you know, freaking out about the fact he's doing <laughs> nothing on this freaking team. Um I think so. Yeah, there's any teams that has an academy team should be okay as long as it's not like a complete trash tier academy team, mm-hmm. which I'll I'll be the judge of here pretty soon. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think if you don't have an academy team, you should go for twelve. Mm. Definitely makes a lot of sense, and it is interesting to see how those lower end team or lower tier uh, squads factor in. But uh, Gil, last last words here on uh, teams bringing in twelve. Well, I, I think that long term, most definitely, I, it, it's going to be the case that uh, successful teams or all teams, I think, eventually are going to need to have full rosters. Not, not necessarily for all the reasons that have been mentioned here. Um, first of all, the, the looking at the teams right now and the teams that don't have 12, that's not necessarily a detriment. I think that we're seeing teams like the Mayhem, where it is very much a detriment, <laughs> but that's more of a, a infrastructural problem mm. than just a simplifying it to the roster you have to have the infrastructure to be able to cultivate talent and build a team and then strategically use all of those elements and Mm -hmm. so you can throw players into a roster it might not actually have the result that you want and so some of these teams early on they're opting for a smaller roster building out their core because maybe that's all the infrastructure they have Mm -hmm. that's um you know the management and everything uh, supporting them and then I, I think we're going to start working more towards long-term full rosters with multiple looks. And that's the second key factor is I don't think we're going to be seeing the like A squad and B squad thing, really. I, I don't think that a good functional team is going to have two very clear separate groups of players mm-hmm. that can be their standalone teams um, just because of the nature of the game. Of course, you see that in other sports maybe because of fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are other strategic elements to that. But Overwatch, you're really going to want to use multiple looks on multiple maps against multiple opponents to drive your your strategy when you're coming up with when you're using your tools. And so that's where we're going to uh, see uh, the full rosters mm-hmm. really coming to bear. Um, and I do want to say that London Spitfire, I think, have given us a really good example 
for how the 12-man roster can be used, not only from a strategic standpoint, because they have had multiple ups. They've been very, very adaptable, and if they come with a good game plan, they're able to execute it. And, well, I mean, they did very well, as it turns out, in the, mm -hmm. um, the first part of the season. But I mean, if they steal a if, good game plan? Oh, wow. <laughs> no. if, uh, Shot, but if the organization is good at cultivating talent, it's, of course, Jack over there at Cloud9, mm. um, who is, of course, uh, the um, the core of the – or is the uh, – owner i guess i don't actually know how it works exactly of the london spitfire but he has already benefited from having 12 not only in how they've been playing but he uh knows that in cultivating talent you can actually make that a good business move as well as he's already traded away a few players mm -hmm. and if you can actually cultivate um talent that's not necessarily going to be uh, in your front line mm -hmm. uh your front lineup uh then you're going to actually make a little bit of money off of that as well so there's definitely multiple layers to this and we're going to see more and more teams opting and trending towards what London Spitfire have been able to do with their full roster. Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of good points. I think the, I mean, I think I agree overall that teams in the future. I think in a couple of seasons we're going to see every team have twelve, no questions asked. But uh, in the next couple of or the rest of this season, maybe even the next one or two seasons we might see uh the academy teams really kind of bear the weight of that that's that's definitely an interesting way to look at it but we will move right along and we have we've had the uh the roster shakeups and the the additions and signings happen over this past week uh or two uh with the acquisition period obviously opening up and one thing that we've noticed is that there's really uh there's not a ton of Western players being picked up in these uh, acquisitions. I think we have, what, Zappis, AKM, uh, Fact Fiction. Mm -hmm. That might be the end of the list. I'm, 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 I don't think there's many, there's many more. And then, obviously, there's been a lot of uh, uh, Korean, Korean players picked up into the Overwatch League. So, uh, uh, Rude, I want to, I want to get your thoughts here. Why do you think we're, we're not seeing the, the, the Westerners and the Europeans get picked up as much as the, uh, Korean players, uh, right now? Ooh, that is a, <laughs> that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> the only, the only thing I can think of is it is standard organizational risk mitigation. They're just going with players that they've seen um, have had more exposure under high pressure situations, and, and that's mm -hmm. it. Um, it's uh, it's sort of like how you know a lot of folks were railing on the league, saying why aren't there's you know there's such a great cast of um, diverse uh, casters that could be doing this. You know where's Golden Boy? And I'm like, hold on, you know, just <laughs> let them get through the first month, right? And then and then we'll see what happens. You know, if the season ends and nothing's changed, sure. But I think it's nothing more than that. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bit more data. There is also a bit more um, structure in terms of where you can see where matchups of like head to head. So like mm -hmm. in baseball, you look at splits all the time. I think that's it. Um, and you know, I, I I haven't looked at the the um, I haven't looked at the the roster pickups in much detail. I, it's funny, I'm really behind on things after like doing the whole like trip to LA and then try to get everything set up for stage two. Um, but I I've always wondered uh, how much. Uh, teams are going to be concerned about split between like players that are focused on being sort of streaming personalities versus mm -hmm. focusing on the team um, with the uh, Asian players, at least uh, being in an eSport, being a, be, be, being a competitive gamer is a serious business. Mm -hmm. um, you show up as like a generalized celebrity. You do not mess about 
Oh, that sounded really Canadian. <laughs> Super Canadian. Oh my god. I was god, just gonna I'm let sorry. it fly. You can but... say sorry if you want to. Sorry, sorry. It's okay. You're sorry. not gonna lose points for Canadianisms, considering Buffalo is essentially just more Southern Canada. We love Buffalo in Toronto. You're the reason we have American television. We don't get any of that Rochester business. Leave that to the Montrealers. They get Rochester. We got Buffalo. No, um, I think that's what a lot of it is. It's just um, you know that when you bring in a Korean import. Um, you kind of know where their headspace is at. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that there'll be a certain focus. And again, I think it's nothing more than uh, early days risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll see a ton open up. I mean, how look at the contenders lineups. We'll see this all open up, I think, once contenders lands. And I think a lot of our sort of concerns about where the focus is will start to dissipate with that change. Definitely a lot of good points there. Kyle, I want your thoughts on this one. Um, I think that, like, from what I've noticed, most of the players who are being picked up are, are ones specifically like the Korean players are ones that have been in and out of Apex for a while and have mm -hmm. kind of, I think it's cut their teeth is the term like on these, the, you know, I, I think it's like a higher value uh, practice being mm -hmm. in a Korea and doing Apex compared to being in NA and doing the kind of our version of tier two tournaments here. Mm -hmm. I, I think you get better players that way. And so like Saya player, an awesome guy we've seen are, They've been in and out, you know, in and out of Apex. They have more Apex experience, whereas most of the NA players who are not already in Overwatch League have very limited experience. And I do think that once Contenders kind of gets rolling, we've seen that a lot of the rosters are kind of 50-50 split. I think that once Contenders gets rolling and most of the players who were in Apex are either in Contenders or up in OWL, mm -hmm. we'll kind of see that that um, difference kind of be be less and less over time but i still think there is a significant difference in terms of like the practice that the korean players get mm -hmm. or got through apex compared to what the na players have yeah definitely definitely some notable differences there but gilfrost what are your thoughts here on on this difference and these players that are getting pulled in uh early into overwatch league well it's obviously mechanics i mean western players are just terrible they just <laughs> terrible terrible mechanics no no obviously it's not and that's and that's i can one attest of the to that because i'm a western player <laughs> yeah, no, uh, listen i'm also a western player and i can tell you the mechanics are not my problem no they're they're probably a problem as well but no i mean it so it's it is more of that uh, risk mitigation around infrastructure and experience than it is around mechanical skill and just it's just raw skill in general if even if we're talking outside of um mechanics and yeah, it, it kind of comes down to what can you guarantee? Like I, uh, so I used to work at Apple and I can put that on my resume and just the fact that I work with an organization of that like caliber, no matter what your opinions are of the company in general, um, that has its own weight. And so, yeah, when you've got players that have played in Apex, they've played in an infrastructure that is already much more developed than any, um, anything in the West really. Mm -hmm. I mean, up until Overwatch League, even contenders, there were orgs that uh, did have very good infrastructure and some that necess didn't necessarily have some great you, you just didn't have that that name brand to mm -hmm. um, to make sure that you know you you could manage that quality to some level um and in fact talking to tier two players um that are all kind of now in this position where they want to get onto contenders teams of course they all want to get on a contenders team of some kind but they especially would like to get on an academy team because mm -hmm. that gives you uh, some of that infrastructural experience that uh, you can work with an organization that has already tested the waters with how to run a successful team. Mm -hmm. And now you can actually carry that forward and become much more valuable. So we are going to see that uh, continue to improve. And as more talent is being filtered in through contenders, uh, contenders teams are a lot more 
likely to pick up a, a little bit more of an unknown player just based on their skill in, in comp queue and maybe other other events because they can they can now start to cultivate that talent with uh, at a very low, lower risk than you would in the Overwatch League. Uh, but for the early stages, at the very least, they're going to be looking for that more experienced talent. Mm -hmm. uh, the only other thing I want to say is look at the look at the the Western talent that has made it through. Um, I mean, the two people that come to mind are Zappis and Fact Fiction. These are two team uh, players. Well, Zappis, of course, is going to be joining a lot of his old teammates. Um, but both of them have played for organizations that have found success in mm -hmm. their regions, and so th they were more closer to those safe picks because they knew wh what they were getting. Um, and so that risk was not nearly as high. All, all I heard from that is you're basically saying that Apex is the apple of competitive Overwatch. They so are the apple of competitive? <laughs> I, oh boy! I, yeah, sure. There's your show title. There, yeah, there's the there's a show title <laughs> if I've ever heard one episode title that is. But death. Last words on this. I know after you clean out the vomit in your mouth. Oh, from, uh... God, I take back half the at least half the nice things I said about your tie, Gilfrost. I didn't wow. know you worked for Apple. I would have never complimented you had I been aware of that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but listen, I mean, I, I do think a, a lot of what you guys said is right. Obviously, the infrastructure matters a ton. But when you look at how the Korean teams for even before Overwatch and before Apex was being run, you know, these these a lot of these players come from other games where they're very used to the structure of having a coach that they you know respect a little bit more, I think, than Western players tend to mm. respect their coaches, things like that everything about it we we can dress this question up in a, any number of ways and at the end of the day it comes down to the depth in korea is just much greater than it is in the west it's because of the infrastructure it's because of all the LAN experience that mm -hmm. these guys got playing at apex uh it's just uh, you know it's not really honestly uh even close when you're talking about depth i do think the overall skill level of the players at the top is very close uh, I think that was kind of proven by the fact that mm -hmm. number two in the standings right now is a, is a completely Western team. And, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot to be said for the strides that they've made, but they're playing catch up right now. Even the top end Western teams are playing catch up right now. They're not used to this level of, of preparation and this level of uh, organization and structure that these teams are giving them. Um, so I expect this to, you know, not be something that continues throughout. Like I think the West is going to, uh, catch up with the East as far as number of players in, in the league over time. Um, but for the time being, at least right now, you're looking at picking up players that have X number of hours played on stage, which the West can't, or, you know, the, the, yeah, the West can't compete with that. Uh, you're looking at X number of time spent in, you know, formal coaching meetings and things like that, that right. just can't be, can't be matched. And I think that's really where the biggest difference lies is in the depth of players. Right. And, and we're going to see that level out. Um, and we're going to see, honestly, the contenders and the path to pro, if that's successful, it will level out because I don't mm -hmm. think the uh, you know overall top end uh, ability of these players is determined by nationality. Or, right. That's mm -hmm. just there's no way that's true. I don't think we've seen that play out outside of like, you know, Kenyans and their ability to run. I just don't think we've seen that play out in very many sports. Um, and I just think it's a matter of we've got to get these guys in the classroom setting and get them caught up on the things that aren't you don't just get by, you know, go logging in and, and playing yep. ranked all day. Right. Yeah, definitely a lot of good points there. And I think uh, I agree with uh, Root Bear's point at the beginning. It's like this is probably this this issue is probably going to sort itself out once we get more data and everything starts to uh, standardize over time. But <clears throat> let's move right along. Last question in round one. This is the the first kind of uh, grudge match we have. Uh, 
of this stage. It is Boston and Houston. They fought a really hard battle at the end of the uh, of stage one for a playoff berth for the, the Houston Outlaws, uh, and they're playing right in uh, in the first week. So, Kyle, only one. There can be only one. Who do you have here, and why? Boston versus Houston. Um, well, let's, let's, let's do a quick little, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. No. Uh, so I do think though, that it, it looks to me that, that Houston understand the meta first. So mm-hmm. as we learned that Junkrat was really, really good, what did we see? We see Jake pretty much play nothing but Junkrat and mm-hmm. he gr- grinded the hero till he became the absolute best at it. Boston got really good at dive. Dive is good. It's a good like team strat, um, but it's not like as broken, I guess, as the Mercy and Junkrat meta was. Uh, you saw Banny, who would grind the heck out of Mercy, got really good at it and was like one of the best Mercies in the league, and um, as well as Boink, who was also one of the best Mercies in the league, as we saw that stat posted by the Twitter earlier, or whatever. Um, but we've seen that like Houston before any other team kind of understand what the meta is we saw london like right week five like oh hey junkrat's pretty good let's try running that and then they decimated teams houston like week two was like yo junkrat's really good i'm gonna run him all the time and kill everyone and it worked and so i can only imagine that that sort of mentality with with coach of of tyrong who understands the game incredibly well with a team who is really good at picking up heroes in a short amount of time and doing you know, doing well at them. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that if if it is three tanks, if it is dive, if it is whatever it is, that Houston will be the first, if not one of the first teams to kind of understand what is the best possible mm-hmm. team comp to have, mm-hmm. and they will run that into uh, until it's perfect, and then they will decimate teams. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely a lot of good points there. Um, Gil, do you have? Uh, are, are you planting your flag in Houston, or do you have? Uh, or are you going with Boston here? This one is a tough one. Uh, it, it really is. But I do have to go with Houston. And, uh, I mean, I, my optic jersey is underneath. It's, it's a tie. <laughs> hard to get to. It's a tie. So I'm sorry. Um, no, I, I, and aside from just, uh, you know, the points that were previously mentioned, I, I think that, yeah, teams at the very end of the season, we started to notice some teams figuring out and dealing with uh, the Houston Outlaws. And that's maybe why they didn't get num- you know, number one in the playoffs, actually, um, is because, honestly, Cool Matt and, and Muma started getting focused down uh, a-, a little differently in these mm-hmm. fights. And they've been one of the strongest tank duos in, in the league. I think Cool Matt's probably the best off tank in, in uh, the world right now. Mm-hmm. I've been preaching the good news of Muma since Contenders. <laughs> and the fact that they were able to bring on Fact Fiction now means yep. that that weakness of being quote unquote figured out and now you know now every you know all these teams that now kind of have the, the game tape to mm-hmm. focus down the tanky front line and to deal with that it's another big tool in their tool belt um to then be able to adapt in all the other ways that they have already been able to so i think that fact fiction coming in here is the x factor that tips it in the favor of houston outlaws for me mm. i hate to even offend you by asking the question death but uh who who do you have here i mean it's not offensive this match was so close at the end of the the first stage that you even listen nobody doubts how much i love houston or how much i absolutely despise robert Kraft and his team 
so I, we all know where I'm rooting, but I do agree with the you know the two before me. I'm picking Houston to win here, and the big reason why is because I can look at the map pool and I can know where they're going to play. And if uh, we're looking at King of the Hill or Control as the the weak point for the Houston Outlaws, well, we're going to Li Jiang Tower. They've played against Boston on Li Jiang Tower, and they won it. So if they're able to flip that map, I think it, it suddenly becomes in favor of them. I also look at the maps here. We've got Hanamura, uh, Kings Row, and Gibraltar in this map set. Mm. Those maps sound to me like a place, if Junkrat's going to be viable, he's going to be viable on Kings Row because we've seen it before. Mm-hmm. He's going to be viable spamming that point one choke on Hanamura and keeping <laughs> Boston from even getting at the first point. Um, and when we look at these maps too, what other character sounds really good on there? Because to me, it's Widowmaker. There's a lot of sight lines on Kings Row and Gibraltar. Mm. You can play the Widowmaker on defense on, on Hanamura or attack on Hanamura too. So I do think the hero pool of these guys uh, on Houston will benefit from the maps that we're playing. Um, and But, I mean, Boston is going to be able to compete with anybody. Uh, I honestly thought Houston would win the last matchup a little more decisively. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. Um, but yeah, I, I want to highlight the fact that what you guys said earlier that they prepare better you know their coaching staff is phenomenal um tyrong will help them figure out what they should be playing and then they will grind it until they can play it at their Mm -hmm. best so um you know this is a week the the quality of the opponents for houston is so big i wouldn't even be surprised if they are o2 leaving it but uh, at the end of the day i I think they've got an edge on both of their matchups and Mm -hmm. i expect them to get at least one of them and my heart needs it to be this one, right? Because I, I never, <laughs> never want to see Boston uh, take True. the outlaws. And you certainly will never live it down either because I will become a de facto Boston <laughs> Uprising fan just to rub that's, it in. That's uh, fine. Discord has a mute button. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Rupier, uh, last thoughts here. Do we? Can I get, can I get a, a Boston taker here? Okay, so here, here's my completely unscientific way of approaching this. I'm going <laughs> to pull down my set to destroy X jersey, but I'm like, I, I love Boston because they have like a great mix of Canadians um, on that squad. No, but but um, I actually think Boston has, um, I think there's a lot of surprises in store uh, with Boston. That team is playing completely differently than what we first saw them show up as mm-hmm. in the league. I think the fact that Houston, look, Houston's got a good squad. And we saw that with their current structure, uh, Boston pushed them to that limit. And the one thing that I heard more in that arena on finals day than anything else, and since then was, if only Casper didn't pull out that blade. <laughs> I hear that a lot. I thought and, it was going to be Buck Faustin. Okay, <laughs> and I think Boston is an incredibly underrated team right now. And I wouldn't bet against them. In general, they they their positioning is fundamentally better now than when you when they first started. Just looking at the overheads and mm-hmm. and seeing what their positioning is like, they're a very different squad. And I think there's a lot of just good raw talent there. Where I think they will push Houston quite a bit to that level again. Mm-hmm. Assuming again, no one you know kind of you know humps the bunk type of thing. But overall, I think I think actually Boston might give Houston a really good run for their money in the uh, in the, the follow up. Yeah, I think regardless, it's going to be a really close match. I don't. I. It's hard to tell which of these teams wants it more. Like regardless of the in-game and skill, I think they both have that hunger to win this game more than maybe even any other two teams going against each other. I think this is going to be uh, the definition of a slobber knocker for sure. Uh, but that does <laughs> bring us to the end of round one. A quick recap for the audio listeners: we've got the. Uh, this I say this every week, but this is honestly, I think, the closest 
first round we've had. <laughs> um, we have a three-way tie for second with Kyle, Rupert, and Gilfrost at 30 points apiece and Deathblow just barely ahead at 33. So we are... Ooh man, this is this is this one's heating up, but we will move right in to round two. Round two. Capture the objective. We got the news, uh, I think it was yesterday or maybe a couple days ago, that there is going to be a coaching change with the LA Valiant. Uh Cuddles, um I don't know if it was released, but uh if it was released exactly the details of, of why he left, but um he's no longer the coach. Um so Gil, I want to get your thoughts on what does it say about the stability of the LA Valiant? Well, in in and of itself, definitely not much. Um, I, I think that uh, it can be easily blown out of proportion, but we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. And they have been the Immortals organization. Um, they've been successful and consistent and in a lot of other areas. Um, there are a few other indicators that maybe you could add up to, uh, to maybe a question, not even really a, any actual facts, but... Um, the fact that they have had really high peaks and really low lows. Basically, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they will go from winning a, an event against a, a big team to then, then then the next event just doing just terribly. Mm-hmm. And so there, there, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. contenders. And so there, there have been some indicators along those lines that you could maybe start to ask more questions. But really what this means to me is they just haven't found the recipe for, mm-hmm. for success that they are going to be happy with. And Noah Winston has even been very open with the fact that he is looking for long-term um looking towards the long term so they're going to keep trying to uh work at it until they find the right recipe and right now the the one of the biggest factors is of course that that coaching staff and it is difficult to find coaches by the way um mm-hmm. right now in esports it's not like you've got a lot of uh time to check people or that people don't have a lot of extensive resumes mm-hmm. necessarily and so courting and then building a relationship with a coach and then having that coach be accepted by and integrated into a, a team, it, it's definitely easier said than done. And so I, I think that it, it just means they're not quite there yet. I wouldn't uh, take too much stock. So. Mm. Yeah, that, that's it's a it's a good point. Um, but Deathbo, I want to get your thoughts. And we've seen we we saw this, and we also saw kind of the numlock situation where he's basically just sitting the bench and and not doing anything but play comp. So what do you, does this say anything greater about the LA Valiant and their, their structure here? You can use it to predict doom and gloom if you really want to. I don't want to, though. It, to me, it just says, listen, the fact that they've already had turnover at their head coach position means you're more likely to have more turnover at the mm-hmm. head coach position because you bring somebody in, maybe you get along with them, maybe you don't, maybe he sees eye to eye with you, maybe he doesn't. So change begets change in this scenario. And like Gil said, it's really hard to have a resume on these guys to build them up. But one thing I will say is if they liked any of these coaches and they still walked, because if you read between the lines on what Cuddles said, he was moving on to bigger and better things within Overwatch League, right? So what what does that mean? Where is he going? We don't know yet. We'll find out soon. But if you really want to keep your guys around, maybe you pay him a little more i mean it's a crazy idea right <laughs> wow. but if you really like them I don't, I don't know their salaries because overwatch league isn't cool enough to be transparent and and tell me um it's pretty cool though to be fair um but yeah <laughs> it's just it's hard to say without the the transparency of knowing if he had one of the lower coaching salaries in the league then maybe he's moving into like a gm position with another team that's an expansion team from the next season something like that we won't know until we see where he lands um but i just think you know it's not not even necessarily the case, but if they really liked Cuddles and they wanted to keep them, they probably should have found a way to be able to pay them enough to keep them. 
definitely a different take on it uh, for sure. But uh, Rupier, any thoughts on on this and the the Valiant uh, in general? You know, it's it's funny. I, I I saw that news and I was like, okay. Um, look, the teams are figuring out a lot right now. I think it seems a little bit extreme to say that their performance would require a coaching change altogether. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, that that's quite warranted. Um, if you were in the lowest of lows and you could not figure out what it is, I, I would say maybe. Um, I think we actually just need information on this one because it just seems like everything would be speculation, to be totally honest. Um, coaching changes are, look, we scream for them all the time in, in hockey. In hell, I'm an Oilers fan. Everyone's screaming about coaching changes all the time. <laughs> um, that doesn't, I mean, that can't solve problems. But, but something like this, it just seems a little bit outside of just being about... Um, team performance mm-hmm. and and it could be something you know uh, as you know as we just heard that it could be something as straightforward as hey you know what there's a better deal out there um because we just don't know we don't know what the salary bases are like and we see that in the nba you know you mm-hmm. happening in the nfl you know it's like it's reason why coaches will eventually go on uh you know when you're like the offensive coordinator at the uh, or as a defensive coordinator on the patriots you just go to another squad eventually right it, it happens so yeah i i would actually say i don't think we should read too far into this until we see what the performance of the team is like because it's entirely possible it could be worse um i saw a few funny comments where people are like great they have a korean coach i'm like so what <laughs> um, your coach has to work with your team and the valiant are not an all korean roster right they're not coming from a system um i'd like to see how this goes i mean it's like you know again tooting the horn of canadian players it's like agilities i don't know how is it going to handle i don't know um I doubt that we'll see a huge transition um, in necessarily like the, the on-field or the in-game play. But again, we, it, it has yet to be seen, and I just wouldn't worry too much about it. I mean, I hope for them. I really hope for them they do not do worse because it will be a very bad look for that organization because then the questions will come up as to what has happened. If that happens, yep. ooh, I would not want to be in that room. Yeah, I mean, like Gil was saying, uh, we've seen uh, feast and famine from the Immortals squad uh, and the Immortals organization and how they've done. So hopefully uh, they're not going stage by stage, ups and downs. But uh, Kyle, last words and thoughts here on Cuddles leaving the LA Valiant. So Rupier said that he, he saw a comment that someone said, oh, yeah, they have a Korean coach. They had a Korean coach. That that was the coach I, I, over the, the contender season one. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> he was the he was the coach that, like, brought th- this change in communication that caused immortals to initially just completely, like, die. That they had the the terrible C9 on Gibraltar that, like, every time I watch back, I'm just like, <laughs> oh, that pain. Um, but like, it's a like that, in my mind, yeah. Yeah, they. He then then you know they brought in Cuddles and then like three weeks later, they they pushed out Ooks who was their initial coach and then Cuddles took over. That was a to me it read as a we don't like the direction of our coaching staff. We would like to go with another coaching staff's direction. We like what Cuddles is doing, so on and so forth. Now what it seems like is Cuddles got a very, very, very enticing offer. And, like, I, I'm trying to, like, wonder, like, where the, the, the pyramid of jobs in OWL is. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, players are pretty good. Analysts are probably worse than players. Co- head, uh, assistant coaches are probably okay in terms of, like, pay and compensation, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Head coaches probably make a decent amount. I'm going to, I'm you know, just going to assume GMs probably make more. So I'm thinking he probably either got a better paying head coaching gig at another team who's just like really just throwing cash at the problem. Um, 
or he got a GM gig either for an existing team or a new team. Maybe he's mm -hmm. thinking about um, mm -hmm. location, like where he wants to live in two years or whatever. He doesn't mm -hmm. want to live in LA. That's fine. I don't blame you <laughs> if he wants to live in England. If there's a second, you know, if if there's like a a second English team or like another European team or just somewhere else in the world that like is offering him a, a better deal, more money, a better place to live, whatever. Why not take that? So that's that's what I would do in his position. That's true. If I ever got a job as a, a popcorn vendor, I would certainly uh, field better offers for maybe a hot dog vendor or a, a t-shirt cannon firer. Cold beer team. here. Yeah, get your beer here. Get your ice cold beer. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, I have some skills. Anyone in the Overwatch League looking for a uh, t-shirt cannon firer or, or better yet, a full-blown mascot. I'm your guy. I can't wait for that to happen. The first team that that uh, hires of like full time mascot, I'm I'm putting all of my efforts to get that job. But <laughs> let's move uh, right along. And uh, in the vein of organizational changes, uh, Mayhem actually you know throwing their hat in uh, again. They did just hire an assistant coach um, in Ryder, I believe. I, I keep. I don't have these things off the top of my or written down because I'm an idiot, uh, but I believe it was Ryder uh, as an assistant coach. But now they're looking for an analyst uh, on on Twitter. They they posted on Twitter. So death is this maybe mayhem turning it around? Can I can I start putting my neck out for him again? Oh uh, well, I, we can't stop you from putting your neck out for this particular <laughs> team, no matter how poorly they do. Uh, you just are a glutton for punishment, as far as the Florida Mayhem are concerned. Um, it's just kind of just an about time scenario for me. Like, thank, thankfully, you're you're looking. I hope you've been looking this whole time. And listen, I think it's more of a, a PR move. Like, hey. Just letting everybody know we are trying to completely flesh out the coaching staff. Uh, I don't know that they're seriously looking for analyst applications. Uh, I don't care because they're getting mine anyways. But uh, at the end of the day, you just they have to be looking. They have to be expanding to their infrastructure, to their organization, to absolutely every aspect of this team. Uh, we've already seen them go after you know adding players, which was great. Um, and we've seen them add one coach, but it's still more than a two-man job. And I think you see that when you look at all the other teams and what they're doing. I don't know exactly how many coaches they all have, but I'm of of the opinion here that like it's it's really hard to have so many that it's a problem, right? As long as they're all micromanaged by the head coach and the communication funnels through him and he can handle it, then fine, bring in as many voices as you can because it's just different opinions that uh, and different stats and different mm -hmm. you know clips that you're able to find and present to the coach and to the team. Um, so great. Uh, by all means, this is a, a phenomenal thing. I, I, you know, I'm not going to be picking them to be any higher than 11 in my power ranks yet, but, um, you know, you can, you can put them, you know, four or wherever you want to put them. Blevins. Hey, 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 two, man, <laughs> two, uh, but, um, uh, but Rupert, is this going to be enough? I mean, is Florida mayhem going to be able to do enough with an, with additional coaching staff to actually move up past the, the bottom rungs of the overwatch league? I think they are in the same position as a lot of squads right now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I saw that analyst role come up, and, and my hunch is this, and it's, it's, com it's completely based off of my research in the other teams. I think a lot of the squads generally start, they started off quite thin. If you take a look at um, what they've got, the focus of the entire league has been on getting good on-field product. Like mm -hmm. Get the teams ready, get the tech working, make sure you've got, well, in some cases, not all, you've got some decent creative. Right. Um, 
Boston's, I don't think was that strong. I mean, it's nothing compared <laughs> to New York's creative, but New York is also like the best when it comes to creative production right now. But the focus has been on the media and making sure the game works. SF Shock put up a, a post the other day looking for a social media coordinator. Now, this is the San Francisco Shock. This is the team that was purchased by, like, with all the really crappy, like, J-Lo callouts and Shaq and all that. Like, it was, like, the I thought it was a really crappy um, launch video because it just, like, it was a really bad, like, celebrity baiting. We're like, hey, I'm reading generic statement number seven. I'm really <laughs> excited about a thing I've never talked about before, but buy this thing. You know, it's, like, a really ba bad testimonial. But all that said, I think the front offices in a lot of these squads are actually really thin. I don't think there's a ton of focus right now on audience development in a lot of squads you know i can you know i know that i, I you know i was meeting with the with some of the xl uh you know staff and and i've gotten to know a little bit of the structure about of the organization and it's true you know they've been working on getting the team working because they had to get houses they had to get visas right um you know poor philadelphia they ran into that situation where you know that the player visas got stuck at the wrong office because mm -hmm. you can go either go to nebraska or the other one and nebraska is where you don't want to go for work <laughs> visas because you're stuck in a backlog so i think what we're seeing now is the team's starting to balance that out and it's going to happen on in in the context of actual like again in-game analysis um and and direct team support and we're also seeing it in just general front office support and Really, again, it's, it's sort of like the coaching shifts. I think what we're seeing is more the product of where teams have started out because they have been hyper-focused on making sure these players can live in a reasonable way, mm -hmm. right? Making sure the assets there, making sure, look, you got folks that are traveling from other countries. It's their first time in a country. You know what's more important for a team coming in than, uh, you know, having a new analyst on the squad when you can, you can survive without one because mm -hmm. there's enough analysis being done on every game that, hell, if you don't have an analyst, just go to the internet. You're going to find it. You go hit competitive Overwatch subreddit, you're going to find the analysis. I think we're naive if we think only those that are sitting you know, on site as with a title analyst can actually analyze the game. Help, look, look at the podcast you guys have here. I would just listen to you guys and be like, that's all the things I'm doing wrong. <laughs> Which is lots of things, because I'm a really average, kind of to average to crappy player, right? Same. But... <laughs> <laughs> So like I tell people, don't let the don't let the Twitch thing, uh, like on my my Twitch banner, like ever fool you, because uh, it says I had 43 caps, like as a, as Zenyatta, but like that happened once, and it was on a console, <laughs> and I had an, and I was just tailing off of an amazing Roadhog. So really, it was just like I was just like blink, finish everyone off. But that said, I think what we're going to see over this stage and actually the next stage is the fleshing out of the front office. I think you're going to see similar ads continuing all the way through stage two, mm -hmm. and you're going to see them coming through uh, stage three. And my, my firm belief is that we're not going to see this actually level out for another year because what the teams don't have right now is they don't have a lot of on-site experience. Like, they don't have boots on the ground trying to do things like venues, venue identification. You know, Houston, we just saw, you know, Houston early days. Oh, we're going to have 70 million bucks in a venue. Cool. Who's going to make that happen? Those people haven't been hired yet. I mean, this is just a reality of business, right? You don't know. They, and that's the thing what we're really seeing is and it's i think it's fascinating we're seeing a like we're seeing entire business lines being built so i think one it's good for florida i think they can use that i think they needed a couple extra players they've done that um, but what really what it's coming down to is now that the teams are playing 
um, the players are in the country or they're able to, you know, like have a house, they, the setups are working. And then again, you've got to take care of them for those who are streamers. You got to make all that stuff work now that it's there. Now you can fix the housekeeping. Cause like, I like that. I've told a lot of folks, you know, some, some people were a little bit upset about like New York, not having a viewing party. And I'm like, yeah, we didn't have one. So we just threw our own, but more importantly, it's this. In general, I mean, assuming the team's doing okay, right? Would you rather um, watch a team or see a team that has reasonable in-game performance and didn't throw a party, or would you have a cracking party once or maybe twice and just watch a total, like, completely terrible team? Right. I mean, right? It, for sure. I mean, you definitely want the team more so, though. I, you know, I would, I really would tr- probably trade it all for one great party. But uh, that's another. <laughs> that's well, another. Dallas. I mean, look at Dallas. Yeah, These true. guys have they, they have their official parties. And, you're, <laughs> like, oh, and, and the thing is, I like Dallas. I want them to do well. I want XQC to do well. Again, that's my Canadian bias. Like I watch that kid all the time, <laughs> and I'm like, you can do so much more. Yeah. You are you you have this great opportunity and it's difficult because you're being you're being put in a situation that no one has trained you for and that's where you're going to see more staff pickups look speaking as somebody who's come to this country on like on working visa right and and please i hope i can stay beyond next year as I, you know as, as i try to work on some of those details but i can tell you there are little things people don't tell you about so my heart goes out for someone like xqc because i know what that stress can be like things they don't tell you when you come into a new country your credit rating from Canada means nothing. You thought you had a credit card? Not anymore. It doesn't transfer. Where are we going? And it, and no one tells <laughs> you this, right? Sure. So just, yeah, and it's just one of those crazy <laughs> things, right? You just kind of kind of go along with it. And the, the teams, are they've got to build up on that, right? And it's again, it's this huge challenge that I think is facing these organizations that most organizations I've worked for and, I, and that I've worked with as a client don't fully appreciate that until uh, shit hits the fan. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to. If I was allowed to. Prove, <laughs> now you okay, gotta you get... do that, that thing at the beginning of the episode. Oh, uh, that's true. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't do the proper briefing. I did not Sorry. think that the Florida Mayhem analyst question was going to get into the <laughs> politics of XQC, but we got yeah. there, boys. No, but, uh, <laughs> but no. I, but that's what I think is going to happen. Though. Like it's like it's yeah. a it's a big thing, and I think the teams are each team is different, and they're figuring out their holes. And like I said, the analyst position, I think it was relatively low on the rung honestly, of priorities for a lot of teams, like in contact, like in Florida, look, Florida only also picked up a roster of six. I think they were trying to figure out what they could do. And a lot of these squads are trying to do that as well, too. It's see what you can stretch. Um, and because what's really important is don't overextend right now. And right. if you hire a team of like huge analyst team, huge this, look, it's a massive free agent dispersal. If you did the thing where you brought in like a staff of like 500, you know, like you're like Mariah Carey, you know, attendance, like it could go really bad really fast because you have too many um, cooks, right? Yeah. And they're building too much by committee. And I think Florida's doing the thing where they're starting hyper lean, which is very startup, right? And they're building up slowly. And I, my hunch is they'll stabilize. I think most of these teams will, like sh- same with Shanghai. They're going to stabilize. They just need time. And like we've seen, what, a month? <laughs> Right. Games. It, it's yeah. definitely too early to tell for Florida, Absolutely. but uh, Kyle here. What? <laughs> are there any other any other thoughts here for for Florida moving forward with with the analyst position? So I'm going to try to be relatively brief here. I think that they definitely needed to fill slots. They uh, finally this stage they they decided that maybe you know six players and one coach is not an adequate uh, supporting <laughs> system for teams that have 12 players and like four coaches and analyst and a GM. 
so they're kind of making progress in that direction, which is good. It might be too little too late, though. Um, but the one thing I did find weird is that with with Saya Player, with Awesome Guy, and with Ryder, they knew those players ahead of time. They didn't post on Twitter saying, hey, we're looking for some like pretty good DPS players. Anyone know anyone who's like good at shooting stuff and like a tank who's good at getting hit a lot and not dying? Uh, just let us know. That's what they're doing with this, though, which I find kind of odd. Mm-hmm. Like, do you not know good analysts? Are you, like, <laughs> that strapped for information that you're like, well, ah, just If they don't know, then, yeah, definitely uh, definitely hire me. I, I'm, I'm perfectly yeah. qualified for it. <laughs> like, you might as well at that point throw it out to the competitive Overwatch subreddit because, like Rupert said, like, there are some phenomenal analysts up there, mm-hmm. tons of quality talent with a really deep, uh knowledge of the I, i'm being sarcastic like that <laughs> not, what do you mean reddit's not perfect <laughs> <laughs> but like i i find it odd how they're like not they don't know a good analyst like i mean maybe they're trying to hope that there's some diamond in the rough but like it's just odd that they don't know of one considering that there's tons and tons of people in all the tier two scenes who are like doing great work and going completely unnoticed i mean mm-hmm. of course they know them it's just a PR stunt to me. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Or but of they course didn't... they know them, and the people who know that, or the people that they know, just don't want to work for Florida. That's also possible. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Gil, last thoughts here on Florida Mayhem and the picking up of this of this analyst. Well, I, I mean, I think they they have identified some of the core problems, and they've already addressed a few. We you know we talked uh, earlier about Zappis and say a play an awesome guy coming in. They knew they needed more people on the roster give them that uh, strategic depth uh, from that perspective. They knew they needed some supportive depth. And I, I just want to talk about like the difference between coaches and analysts. Cause I think that we general, a lot of people think that the coaching staff is there to help them with strategy and, and that kind of analytics. And that's generally not what coaching staff is for. I don't know how they're operating in their mm-hmm. organization, but they knew that, you know, that they needed some support staff in there to help them with you know, their practice regimen. How are they approaching game day? Um, even things like what's their diet like and taking care of the, the players as human beings. And then now they also notice that they, they need some more of that strategic depth behind the scenes. So they're getting an analyst. And I think that uh, it's great that we just brought Reddit into this. That was just <laughs> cool. like the. The ana- analysis that you can get online, like I, I just want to say, so I, I I have been on an analyst desk before, and um, people would message me and say things like, you know, like, hey, you're saying things and people are believing you, and I'm like, that's their problem. If if I say something <laughs> stupid up there, okay, like people way more qualified than I am to actually get in depth with the game. Like I, at the core, I'm actually more of an entertainer, you know, and I I, I do analyze the game and I. I think I do a decent enough job at it. I would never apply to, to one of these jobs, but there are a lot, a lot of people out there that want to work in video gaming. I'm just, this is just mm-hmm. the honest truth. And uh, the easiest like point of entry for that, I think for a lot of players, that is not pro players, but people who play the game is, well, I understand the game very well, so I'm going to be an analyst. And you, you have a lot of people that are putting a lot of legwork to try to like communicate with teams and network mm-hmm. and so they, 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 100%, they, they have a group of analysts that they have decided not to go with. And it, it could be because uh, the actual quality of that analysis was not up to their standards. And so they're, maybe they're reaching outside of that pool of people that are already in their network because it's mm-hmm. a little dry. It's a lot drier than mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think. Because when you're talking about analysis on 
a level of depth that re- is required for um, actual teams to succeed. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot deeper than than you might think, um, and it's uh, it's going to involve a lot more work and a lot more of an analytical uh, perspective than a lot of people think. And so I think that they're just they don't want to settle uh, with uh, the you know anyone that's been bouncing around the scene maybe mm-hmm. and just hasn't impressed anyone. Um, it is hard to say though. It is a little weird, and it de- I think that it definitely has to be at least partially PR related. Um, they want to make sure they know that their fan base is aware that they are trying to address these issues. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that doesn't take a lot of skill and is is not very deep is uh, selling hot dogs. So get your hot dogs. Okay, I'm done. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we've got uh, another slobber knocker build for this week, another r- rivalry brewing and another rematch here. Uh, we've got London versus New York round three, uh, which is interesting because they played two times last uh, in the play- in the regular season of the stage and the playoffs. And now they're playing in the first week of stage two. So, I mean, root, I know who you're going to be rooting for, but uh, who do you, who, (laughs) who do you think is going to win here? And, and what's kind of your analysis of it? This one's going to be a tricky one. Um, I, I actually don't know. I really don't know. I think New York can handle this match. If they look, I think say BLB said it really well. Right. They got a little bit cocky. They took a couple of risks. Probably shouldn't have mm-hmm. done that. And there were numerous times where they just didn't, you know, seal that deal. I, every time I see point two on Dorado for Excel, I'm always like, oh man, um, <laughs> bad things happen there. And also uh, every every time, and and you know every time they hit uh, Horizon, I'm like, oh god, not yeah. this map, not this map. You know, a lot of folks like to um, pick on on Janus, and I think it's misplaced. I think the strategy didn't work. Um, but I, re- I in this case, in this case, I think it will be. Here's the, here's the thing. There is a whole lot of tape from those matches, mm-hmm. all of them, right? All from the same day, and they're all recent. This isn't like early stage, right? Um, a month ago type play. They have very up to date information. I think what this is going to come down to for either squad is using that information, figuring out how to um, exploit it against you know the other squad. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you, if I don't think we're going to see, you know. Janus running Winston and Libero running a Genji again on Horizon. It, it wasn't working and it went on for too long. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you you can't. It's tough to do a running line change in in Overwatch like mm-hmm. a quick strat. It's very difficult because the players are structured. You know, you're set on a strategy and you got to right. hold it. It's like it's like boxing. The boxers don't figure anything out on the fly. I mean, they look for openings, but you do what your corner tells you to do. They're like, so and so is dropping his arms, hit him with a lot of left. That's what you do. Right, you do that as best as you can because you rely on the staff to manage this. So I think whomever wins this particular battle is going to be the team that has the more astute coaches mm-hmm. um, and who has come up with more potential modifications so that when the teams go up, they can make those quick on-the-fly changes. So it's going to come down to coaching, and it's going to come down to who can adapt faster, and I think we'll have to see. I, this one, I don't know. It- like, I'm not going to hold proud on this one. Yeah, I mean, I am, but that's just because uh, I uh, value my fandom more than my pick'em points every week, <laughs> as evidenced by me picking Mayhem more than zero times. Um, but Kyle, what are your thoughts here? Who are you picking? Why? What do you think this one's going to come down to? I'm thinking NY, because I think that as good as London is, London is a a really good team at kind of 
not that many things. They're really good at dive. That was like they were tutored for the entirety of stage one. Like, oh, this is a really good dive team. They're really good at dive. They can run dive well. Like, and that was all I really heard. Then they eventually at stage, you know, or week five, they're like, Junkrat. We'll pick up Junkrat a little bit here and there and completely destroy Houston. Um, sadly. But I think <laughs> New York is a much more they have deeper here pools individually and thus they have despite the fact that they have you know kind of a smaller roster they can still make that work to their advantage you can run so many more comps i think with new york than you can with london without london having to switch in and out players which as we've seen kind of is not that good for them to do so i think that new york's uh tier of flexibility between anyone who can run a roadhog they ran like four or five different players on their one team on roadhog so you know they have a couple pretty good roadhogs <laughs> if it comes down to tanks they have great zarya's they have good you know if if it runs dive if dive is a thing that everyone needs to run they can do that well if tanks is a thing they need to run they can also do that well whereas i feel like london can only run dive well as of right now and they're gonna have to take a lot of changing to be able to run tanks as well as i think new york can Definitely uh, a lot of good points there. But, Gil, what are your thoughts here? Who do you got? Yeah, th this one is a tough one for sure. But uh, you know, and when I look at this, one of the filters that I want to use is looking at the new patch and how, are the, how is it going to affect these teams because mm -hmm. they're very, they very close uh, to each other. And I'd like to say that since the Spitfire have four supports, that the you know the Mercy changes are going to benefit them. But really, it's, it's just I don't think that's going to be how it plays out. I don't think that that's really relevant, in which case – I would have to say that NYXL, uh, I think they're going to be the ones that take it. I think it's going to be close. I think they're going to adapt to the new meta just as well, um, if not better, than the London Spitfire. And one of the most pivotal parts of that is going to be that tanky front line. I think that uh, tanks, in order of importance, I think tanks are going to be the most important mm -hmm. um, for uh, dominating fights and choosing where you're fighting uh, and dictating the flow of battle. And then the supports are coming in uh, right after that uh, at a close second for importance. And the the tanky front line uh, from New York Excelsior is going to bring them forward uh, in this in this in this initial match at the mm -hmm. very least. And they're going to be able to give a few more looks, um, take it to the London Spitfire. Definitely hard to bet against a tank line that includes Mecco. Uh, but death. Last thoughts here on NY versus London round three. Yeah, so listen, I think London is a really, really strong reactive team. I think they adapt to what's going on in the meta well, and they get better as the stage goes on. And I think New York is, for the most part, a pretty airtight team right now. And when I look at what went wrong for them, for New York, in the, the loss to London in the playoffs, it, you can look at the, the kill feed at the end of that Dorado map. It's mm -hmm. Arc dies, Arc dies, Arc dies, Arc dies. It just kept happening over and over again. Was it Arc's fault? I don't know. But for whatever reason, London was able to get to him when he was on the Mercy. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to put some rollerblades on the guy, set him free, let him listen to some music. <laughs> it's going to be a lot better for him. He's going to be able to, to peel and be a little bit more mobile. Um, so I think he's going to do well and feel more comfortable on that Lucio role. Uh, even if he was one of the better, you know, adaptive um, plug-and-play mercy players that the mm -hmm. league saw. Uh, I just don't see weaknesses when I look at, at New York's team. And I've talked about really the only issue I have with them is can they close it out? Can they finish it? Are they going to choke? Are they going to be that team? Well, nobody chokes in week one. You don't do that. So give me NY. <laughs> I, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, in the neighborhood of three to one. The maps will be competitive. Um, but, I, you know, I think New York's going to win this one fairly solidly. 
Yeah, you know, I when we looked at the pick'em numbers and just in talking to people, it seems like so many people have NY, which I'm always happy with. I always want to see people picking NY, but it seems like man, I I'm just a little concerned not not concerned, but like it I I don't know, I don't want to jinx it, so I'll just uh, <laughs> shut my trap here and just root for NY blindly. But that does bring us to the end of round 2. We got we got a close one to go. I, I literally do say that after every round, don't I? But we, we've got a close one. I sure do, and I'm going to keep doing it. We got a close one going into the final round. We've got Kyle at 53 points. We've got Root Bear at 54. We've got Deathblow at 56, and Gilfrost just barely trickling ahead at 57 points. So this round, this buy or sell round, is definitely going to be a big one. The payload is approaching its destination. So that does bring us to our last full round of play. This, of course, is the buy or sell round where you are going to have to say buy or sell, whether you agree or disagree with this topic. And we are running very quite low on time, so we're going to try to keep these ones quick. But we will start with you, Kyle. Um, we've got, like we've already talked about before, we've got the week one of the stage uh, having a lot of rematches from week five of the previous stage. So we're kind of seeing the same exact matches play out. So buy or sell these almost just duplicate matches going uh, one week right after the other. Buy a thousand years by because week five was like one of the best weeks in terms of just even close matchups that I think we've seen in the entire first stage. The the Boston Houston one was really, really close. The New York London one was really, really, really close. And we saw uh, Houston, London as well. There's just like lots of really good close matches, and it'll be nice to see where these teams ended up adapting to the new meta. So I think it'll be a good time to like revisit these matchups. Mm, definitely, Gilfrost, your thoughts? I'm I'm also buying, and I I think that uh, for me it's like a, an experiment. Uh, teams are making a lot of changes. Of course, it's a new patch, and we're going to be able to see. We're going to be able to compare and contrast these matches from um, the last week of the last. Um, stage hmm. and now the first week with these new changes we're going to be able to kind of see how they've impacted these teams definitely agree with you there Deathblow, buy or sell well it seems like it's a seller's market so i'm going to sell these uh, sell this idea here the reason is is because i want to see how these teams grow and improve over time now it's going to be forever before i get to see you know houston go up against london again um and it's part of this is because it just happened to work out that like the playoffs were already the rematch right so now it's like the third time in a row yeah. and so it's not going to be as big of a problem going forward just a little bit of bad luck there but i don't know I, it's just going to take so long to see these teams go up against each other once they play this time i'd almost like to have seen it spaced out a little bit if the playoffs weren't you know rematches of the final week right away uh and the, and the same day mm -hmm. then yeah i would have been a lot more for this but i'll, I'll sell it given the the schedule from the end of stage one mm -hmm. and root bear last words here buy or sell the rematches week week over week completely buy 100 percent uh it gave us an entire look it gave us a whole round of content to talk about <laughs> and, and that, that's what it's about right it's uh rivalries are going to be met and there's going to always be pressure at the end of any stage just given how the league has been structured um, and this is playing into the fact that people want to come back from whatever they saw so i think it's uh, i think it's smart keeps us plus it locks us in right away at the stage so we don't forget the, that the league is around because <laughs> we're right around the corner from march madness and that's going to be a huge chunk um, that's going to fight against the league 
That is definitely true, but we will move right along. Uh, man, we tried to talk about this, and, and I tried to have Deathblow explain to me exactly how this playoffs, the the season playoffs work. I'm, I'm, I've finally gotten how the stage playoffs work. It's actually pretty easy, and I'm imagining that the stage playoffs will be, or the season playoffs will be the same, but we basically had that uh season playoffs format announced and the easiest way for me to describe it to you is that it's a best of five best of fives across three days a set number of matches are going to be played on day one and day two and then depending on how many more matches a team needs to win the best of five there will be more matches on day three i think that's the best way to explain it i'm sure blizzard will come out with a video so after that mouthful of explaining, Gil Frost, are you buying or selling this season playoff format? This one was tough because it's like almost too complicated to, you know, like a part of me just wants it to be simple, but I'm definitely buying. And the reason being is we've seen, as even the in the last week of play, we saw so many close matches and these teams are much closer than I think a lot of us predicted mm-hmm. coming into the first season. And now what we're going to be able to see is actually that that taken to the next level. So mm-hmm. now we don't have to wait a, another several weeks before you get to see two teams play once again. We're going to see these teams adjusting from day to day in how they're mm-hmm. approaching each match. And, and I think we're going to get some close series uh, of matches. It's complicated. See, now you're, now you're using technology. terminology. Just how close a lot of these teams are. Yeah, there's a lot of jargon and, and specific terminology, so you got to be careful what words you use to describe things. But Deathblow, buying or selling this new playoffs format? Oh, this is a hard buy. This is a phenomenal format. Listen, the more Overwatch you get to play within the playoff uh, matches, the better, because that leads to the best team more likely coming out of the match as mm-hmm. the victor. Um, I think it's something you see in just about every sport that's not football, because in football you have the serious risk of, like, you know, physical injury every time the ball gets snapped like it's just not feasible to play a best of seven in football it's absolutely feasible to do an overwatch the only negative part is that there might be three best of fives being played out on one day on the final day it's the only part about it that even makes me remotely iffy and that's only because it might happen to both matchups in the playoff week at any given time so Mm -hmm. it's a little bit rough but this is awesome this is going to give us the best possible teams coming out of the playoffs on the overall this is phenomenal maybe some slight tweaks yeah, definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying there. Root Bear, what are your thoughts here, buying or selling this playoff format? Uh, I got to agree. Um, hard buy. Uh, series are right to where it's at. Um, again, I'm a big hockey fan just because I'm from Canada. Um, the playoffs test the teams. Uh, but what's critical is that you need, the you need by virtue of the way Overwatch, the league is structured, mm-hmm. you need to have these to be series. Look, I, I think in the end it'll work out well. Um, but what's great is the... This is going to test the teams not on their one-shot talent. Mm-hmm. It's going to test them on their depth, perseverance, um, mental fortitude. I mean, this is... We're going to see crazy things happen. Look, you're going to see some pretty big collapses. I guarantee you. You can mark my words. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong, I will buy you a root beer. But I think we are going <laughs> to see... A great root beer? A great root beer. <laughs> it will be an A&W brand root beer, and it will come from Canada, <laughs> and it's going to be in one of them frosty mugs. Ooh. Oh, so not a great root beer. That's a great. That sounds pretty great. I will have you know, <laughs> Canadian root beer is very different from American root beer. Y'all are a little bit lighter on the whole sarsaparilla thing here, but it does taste different. Oh, but shit. it has to be from A and W. Exactly. Did a Canadian no, just I, yaw me? Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> we 
we are we are getting like all that. sorts of things. I I am definitely awarding points for the uh, sarsaparilla uh, infusion in the root beer. But uh, moving on, Kyle. Last words here. Are you buying or selling the playoff format? Uh, buying, but not like with a lot of money. I'll put like a, a fiver on it at the most. <laughs> um, I think that it's really cool. I always want to see more Overwatch. More Overwatch is more better. Um, we want to see lots of <laughs> points for grammar for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we want to see. We want to see how good these teams are, and you can't necessarily see that based on one particular matchup. There's always particular random things that happen. Whereas if you are playing a best of five, a best of five, like 25 possible maps total. Um, you get a really good understanding so you can make sure that the best team absolutely, without a doubt, of this whole season is the one winning. I do think that it is absolutely terrible that you have possibility for there being 15 maps played in a day. Um, that's a lot. I, London mentioned that this was like really, really rough to do, but, you know... Why are we still doing this? I guess if it's not guaranteed that's going to happen, it's better, but it's still, it'd be nice to see if we could have it like a possibility that there'd be more days, but it's kind of, it's kind of hard to see. So I can understand why there's that problem in the first yeah. place. Yeah, it, uh, man, there could be a really, really long day of Overwatch, which is going to be great for us as fans. Maybe not so much for the people playing it, but we will not, move. Not for those playing uh, Overwatch League related drinking games. It's going to be rough. <laughs> or uh, Overwatch League related Sour Patch eating games, which Death and I were doing, and it literally destroyed the lining of my stomach and throat. Uh, but, he uh, ate one bag of one bag of. Okay, I haven't eaten Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> In years, I haven't had that much. It was sour like a legit stuff. one serving. The recommended. Daily okay, serving. it was. It was, like it was more than one <laughs> serving. serving. One bag is not kids. one serving. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle I it. I couldn't handle the sour patch kids, man. And I've never. I've haven't eaten that much sugar in years. Sounds it, disgusting. I. <laughs> I had a worse hangover than if I had been drinking alcohol. But that is for a another show. Um, we had the announcement fact fiction. We talked a little bit about it before moving to Outlaws, but Death, I want it, it, buying or selling fact fiction actually making an improvement. It's thought he's probably a, a bench player here and maybe not, not at least not a definite starter. So buying or selling an improvement to the Outlaws with the addition of fact fiction. Is it an improvement? Yes. Is it much of an improvement? No, because like you said, I don't think he gets into the lineup very much. I think this team was built around Cool Matt and Muma. I don't expect them to go anywhere. Um, Fact Fiction will help in the film room. He's going to be a, like, a great player coach. He's going to be a great bench player in the event that you know there's some illness. If they're going into a big, heavy, triple tank composition, you can bring him in if you want to play like the Winston and the Reinhardt. Um, but no, I, I think the starters on this team are probably going to remain the starters. Uh, the, the biggest aspect of this, assuming nobody gets sick or nothing crazy happens, uh, and I'm not just outright wrong, is that like Florida didn't get him or other teams that mm. they might have to play against didn't get this guy because he is good enough to start in this league. I just think he's he's on par with Muma on some heroes and then on others, not so much. So why take Muma out? Yeah, I agree with everything you said here, but I, I don't think you said buy or sell. So we're going to have to take Fair. away a uh, gonna take away a couple of points here. Trying to get I, our guest that ran away. <laughs> I know. I think Root, I, I think Root yeah, Beer uh, had to walk away. Root. He, he drank too much sarsaparilla. So we're going to skip over him for now. So Kyle, buying or selling fact fiction, uh, improving the outlaws? Um, buying again with like maybe like $10 this time. I think that it, <laughs> it helps in that 
like Death mentioned, you have a, a player coach, you have someone to sit down with Moom. I mean, you also have Mezzer too, who's also a phenomenal tank player. So you have now like a second or like a third voice who's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't have, you know, earth shattered here. But like <laughs> what you do have is also like Death mentioned, you're still on my great points. Um, you have <laughs> it not on another team. You can make sure that like Mooma doesn't have to face off against him. Mm. which would be rough. But you also do have another player that if you want to run in-house scrims, it's a little bit easier to do because you have lots of other coaches within um, who could be running. Like, they mentioned at the start of the team that you could run Tyrong as that Lucio, and they're going to have Mezra as the tank, but now you just need to have Tyrong as a Lucio, and then you can run in-house scrims pretty easily, which is cool. But yeah. Bye. Yeah, definitely, definitely some good points here. Oh, we've got root beer back. Root beer, back. root root beer, bear, bear. Blah, blah. I can't talk. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> we'll we'll jump over to you first. Uh, uh, root beer, buying or selling fact fiction, improving the Houston Outlaws. Buying. Um, I think I think fact fiction is a great player, and um, but but generally speaking, it never hurts to add a little bit of depth. I think mm -hmm. it's going to be just good for player management. I think burnout is going to become pretty serious. Mm -hmm. um and stress in general so um you couldn't i can't imagine much better of a like a, a pick to have just as a backup to have mm -hmm. floating around this is a pretty solid player um so yeah it makes houston that much scarier mm -hmm. for sure and gil last words here on fact fiction buy or sell i am buying and i'm going to go out on a even further than that i'm going to say if they had had a reinhardt player like factor fiction and and not to take away from muma skill but I did look strategically in your tank line. I think they uh, might have gone all the way in the playoffs for stage one. I think mm. that that might have mm. been the X factor. I, I can't imagine that they would pick up someone that has the LAN experience, team experience, the integration with uh, Rockus. I mean, they're already mm -hmm. going to be hitting the ground running that Fact Fiction has. Mm -hmm. If they just wanted to take it away from another team or if they weren't going to actively work him into their strategies. And we did see that they're that their tanks were getting focused and their, their strategy kind of ran out there at the end of stage one. Now they're going to have that much more to bring to stage two. Definitely a lot of good points and a lot of people in favor of fact fiction here, but we are moving on to our last buy or sell question, which I'm starting to, uh, delineate as the almost meme question or although for what it's worth, this may have been the most serious event that's happened in Overwatch history. But, of course, I'm talking about the Puppy Rumble. We saw the <laughs> Overwatch Puppy Rumble happen last night. It was an event for... Um, Raising awareness and uh, raising awareness for uh, adopting dogs uh, in different areas uh, across the U.S. Um, it was a, it was one of the it was an event that really like from the onset like it was done flawlessly and amazingly um, from a production standpoint, but it could have gone so bad. It could have been so awkward, but it wasn't. So I just I just I gotta know. Root Bear, we'll start with you. Are you buying or selling the Puppy Rumble? Uh, totally buying it. Um, yeah, honestly, one of the funny things I always joke about the Overwatch community is people take themselves way too seriously. Um, <laughs> uh, like, I'm the first person to say, forget about SR. It's a, it's a, it's actually a fundamental calculation, so why do we rest so much uh, you know, weight on that? Mm -hmm. But look, in the end, the organization has to do things that are more than the game. Mm -hmm. Every league does it, every sport does it, every team does it. And if the uh, charity of choice will be 
you know, raising awareness around, you know, puppies that need adoption because, you know, cats would be the same thing, but I don't, I don't think cats wouldn't do a very good job. Um, they would just sit around and do nothing. Um, <laughs> for, for, there, it wouldn't be a rumble. It'd be more like watch the Overwatch cat sit. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it's awesome. Um, it's just, and it's also like a nice point of lightness to have mm-hmm. before things get really serious. This- for sure. Kyle, buying or selling the puppy rumble? I'm going to buy, but this time I'm going to put more money than 5 or $10, $15. I'm going to put whatever the price of those dogs were because I had to convince <laughs> my wife to not adopt a third dog because uh, there's no room in this house. So I, I think it was great because if nothing else, there's 35,000 people watching, like 10 times more than the pit got. So it's like, first off, you're getting people following the overwatch channel so when an overwatch league game or a test pit game comes up they're like oh okay well there's this other thing like those casters were pretty good let's watch this as well not to mention that like i think in terms of like practice for uber and, and seltzer and uh Monty and doa like they're they're like you know coming in tomorrow and this week they're going to come in like well practiced because they just had to cast dogs uh playing around each other for <laughs> an hour and make it like sound professional. So a plus to them for that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm buying this. This is great. I think you meant Daga and puppy Christo, but I won't take points away from you for that. Uh, Gil buying or selling the puppy rumble here. Can I, can I break the rules? I mean, I, cause I, I want to buy, but really I want to adopt. I think I want to adopt <laughs> this one um, because I wanted to adopt Lulu but I, I couldn't for multiple reasons. But yeah, it's kind of my melting point, our puppies. So um, yeah, no, it was also incredible to see like Monty and Doa casting the impossible. Um, they made it sound really easy. And uh, it was it was a really cool event. And you know, Blizzard, they, uh, I mean, they're a company that definitely wants to have a positive impact. And this is one way uh, that I think the first of many ways that we're going to see mm-hmm. that happen in the Overwatch community and so i think it was it was definitely a buy slash adopt situation for sure cannot take points away for adopting there if anything you got more points but devo last words buying or selling the puppy rumble i'm definitely buying and i would have probably had to fist fight anybody that tried to sell this because it was a phenomenal event the community outreach alone uh is just great it's something that i think sets an example for the teams in particular stuff they can do uh, in their cities it's just an, an example for them uh, that i hope they all follow mm-hmm. and use it as a great way to reach their fans in their home cities and to, to create some you know brand evangelists um but one thing i will say is there's only one aspect of it i wanted to sell and that was tabitha because she was a bully and she wouldn't leave lulu <laughs> alone and lulu was over Overpowered, so they need to consider some significant balance changes here. Yeah, because on Symmetra, Lulu was able to just take constantly two two on ones, three on ones against bigger dogs. It didn't matter. Lulu was a champion, the the true MVP. Um, and I was really really mad that I couldn't adopt Lulu because I, I might have. I wanted August so bad. Definitely the most underrated puppy in the Puppy Rumble for sure. I think. Bang for, bang for your buck. August was a great. I mean, obviously everyone wants to first pick Lulu. Like you're not. It's like you're not getting Jonak in your draft. Right. It's like you got to go for your August. August was adorable. Um, but uh, for sure, I mean, I was going to say anyone who sold the Puppy Rumble was immediately getting ejected and lost all their points. <laughs> so you all passed that one with flying colors. Well, that does bring us to the end of our regular play. We, of course, are going to break it down into the finalists for one last showdown. But let's go over the scores. This was, I think, 
the, I do say this at the end of every one, <laughs> but I think this, <laughs> I think this actually is the closest one. Uh, we had a tie for third place with Kyle and Great Root Bear at seventy points apiece. So, congrats to both of you for putting up such a great score. But we are moving on to our final question between Deathblow and Gil Frost, the showdown of the century. Um, so, of course, for this final question, there's not points given out. I'm going to give a give a question where both finalists get to pick make a case for their answer and then I solely get to pick the winner and decide the winner of week 9 of ATP. So let's jump into it. So I want to know between the two of you which, which team do you think stands to benefit the most from the meta shift going into stage two and a coin flip has determined that death blow you are going first here sure give me the soul dynasty i think they have a lot of problems with their support synergy right now and with being able to move toby over to lucio where he is phenomenal instead of being on Mercy, where he's eh, okay, uh, I think is going to make a huge, huge difference for this team. It's not going to fix all their problems, um, and it's a little bit cherry-picking because they're a team that should be up there and fell down kind of at the end of the stage. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I, I think they're going to be in, in a big way uh, much better once they can get, you know, and, and even if, oh, man, imagine if Anna comes back into the meta a little mm-hmm. bit. Shakeups in the support, I think, only benefit the Dynasty because uh, in a non-Mercy meta, I do think they have probably the best two support players in the entire league. For sure. Gilfrost, your pick. We'll talk about teams that have fallen from grace, or at least fallen from uh, what our expectations of them were. It's got to be Dallas Fuel. Dallas Fuel is going to benefit the most from the changes going into the uh, second part of the first season here. And I think that it's for some of the similar reasons. Chips, he uh, he was forced onto you know some support picks that he didn't want to, and I don't think they liked the Mercy overall. And so I think they're going to be able to feel much more comfortable with the new meta not needing to play quite as much mercy and they're a team that has already proven that they can be on that top tier and so they're going to be coming out firing here in stage two i agree rascal is going to make a big difference (laughs) 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 oh man yeah man this is this is a close one i always i always i like i like the concept of the finalist thing but i really do hate (laughs) having to pick here actually picking yeah Uh, not wearing a tie but, never worked for not, apple man, <laughs> man uh, there, there's so much there's so much to pick he, from here but i really do believe that soul is the answer here being able to actually flex jay hong onto a, a hero that uh he he really was built for essentially best anna in the world and being able to actually flex those muscles is going to be a benefit here so death blow you finally won. You got there. The 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 floor is yours to for your victory lap speech, whatever you want to do. It is yours after You've this two seconds objective. of well you done. knowing that you captured the objective. All right, the floor right, is so I, yours. Okay, I waited two seconds. I wasn't sure how that was gonna go, but I just yeah, want to yeah. use this time and stop and thank you, Blevins, uh, and really everybody 
that works and does just phenomenal work with High Noon Productions. Uh, you guys produce absolutely all of my favorite Overwatch content. I can get everything I need from you guys in particular. Uh, the work right that you do for us fans is extraordinary and no amount of recognition would be adequate as a form of thanks from us fans on the sidelines. You, you've inspired me personally to pursue my own podcasting career and I can't thank you Shame. enough for that. So thank you. A uh, big thanks to everybody at High Noon Shame. Podcast uh, specifically. Yeah. For for all of the new for all of the new viewers, uh, he is part of High Noon Podcast and High Noon Production, so it's a complete and utter <laughs> sellout. <Yeah. laughs> complete and utter sellout. Um, and I mean, in a way, since I give out all the points, I guess it is kind of rigged. But that, <laughs> but every not really. It's been rigged. Every, every single episode <laughs> has been rigged. I keep bringing Gil Frost back in to like perpetually get second place. It's just yeah, big, <laughs> he's the. Uh, uh, but no, uh, honestly, everyone, thank you so much for being on. That is going to be our show. I hope you guys had some fun being on the show. I hope you guys, new listeners, had fun listening as well. Um, but, guys, that is going to conclude the show. Thank you for listening to Around the Pale. You can check out all the stuff that all of the people that Deathblow thanked <laughs> Productions do over at highnoonpodcast.com. Make sure to follow everyone that was on the show as well. I will put links to their Twitters and all of their stuff down in the description. And guys, if you're ever in New York City for an XL game, I got to just throw the plug out there. Uh, uh, Root Bear, where, where can people go to, to watch some awesome Overwatch League games for uh, uh, in New York? You can always find the uh, Five Deadly Venoms crew over at the Waypoint Cafe uh, down on Ludlow in the Lower East Side. We are there for every single game, and in fact, you will find me there for every single home, every single uh, NYXL game. So anytime you want to come out, just uh, find us on Twitter at NYXL underscore Venoms, and you will find an Eventbrite set up there where you can just sign up, come out. There is no charge. It's all ages, and you're just surrounded by generally awesome people. Nice. I, I, I'm just a hair too many hours away from uh, from New York City to make it out there more often, but I promise I'm going to make it out there one of these days. But that is going to conclude the show, guys. Remember, you can find everything that we do over at HighNoonPodcast.com. But for Gil Frost, for Deathblow, for Kyle, for Root Beer, I am the Blevins. And remember, you can find us next week around the payload. Bye-bye. Around the Payload is a High Noon production. Check out all the High Noon productions at highnoonpodcast.com.